You're listening to the Casual Swinger Podcast. As your host, we need to warn you that the material you're about to hear may be sexual or explicit in nature. This podcast is intended for an adult audience. Now, we don't expect you to act like adults. What's the fun in that? We're a married couple living in Florida with over 13 years of experience in the lifestyle, and we take almost nothing seriously. Casual Swinger is a variety show, meaning we'll cover everything from music to events, travel, and even the occasional hilarious screw-up. Our show is about entertainment. We're not licensed professionals. Not anything. And our stories, commentary, and guidance should not be confused with the opinions of a licensed professional. Now that you know, let's take those pants off and get comfy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Casual Swinger. My name is Mickey. And I'm Mallory. And today's a fun one. Today's all about making love. Ooh, I love that. Brown chicken, brown cow. Ooh, ooh. Mm. Making Make love? To the camera. Oh. <laughs> That's what we're going to talk about today. We have been so excited about this episode. I know we get excited for every episode and we we're, get all like, this is a special guest, but <laughs> this one's fucking huge. It, it actually is. You know, we are kind of excitable people, so that, that makes sense. Um, This one's enormous. This is a really, really big deal for us. I really felt like it was a big deal because, you know, we're such a fan of her work. And who are we talking about? We are talking about erotic photographer and, and legend and, and the family is a legend in erotic photography. We're talking about Holly Randall. Yes. And Holly Randall has um, a podcast called Holly Randall Unfiltered, which is amazing, by the way. Um, after we talked to her, she mentioned that her favorite episode of Gosh, what is she up to? 160 something, 170 something. Something I mean, like that, yeah. A lot. And all of the content is wonderful. I love the dialogue she has with people in the industry and kind of normalizing and getting deep. Some of it's a little darker, but it's it's great content. I went back and listened to that first episode with her mom and dad. Oh yeah. Suze Randall. Oh my gosh, is it fabulous. It it really is, and it really gives you this perspective on her and her career that just completely disarms you so who is holly randall she is she's a producer she's a photographer she's a podcaster she's an icon in adult content absolutely and she's an amazing photographer she's a fantastic photographer she's going to be a mom soon yes yeah Uh, she's the daughter of Suze randall who is a legendary photographer and we reached out to her because you know we checked out a couple of her podcasts and she really paints adult content in a bit of a different light than a lot of yes. people do. And they, she normalizes and makes people a little more real. And it mm-hmm. just, it was so awesome to be able to sit down and just talk to her about her career and her perspective. But also we got to talk a little bit about taking your own erotic photos and kind of scoring some really, really great tips from a pro on yeah. taking good pictures. Yeah. I mean, we bounced all over the place talking about her because I'm so, we're so fascinated by her and have so much respect, especially for her and her mom. Cause they were, they're trailblazers in that industry, and in my some. opinion. Yeah. And for her to give us tips at all on something, it probably it's second nature to her now, right, well, like, With in regards to photography. Yeah, 25 years in the industry herself and then growing up around it. And she really, you know, she went to art school and in photography school and came back and started taking photos, you know, for her parents, essentially. So, mm-hmm. But just to grow up so sex positive and then come away from it and be able to have such a constructive conversation yeah. about adult performance and sex work and talk with those folks and then take photos of those folks. And 
And we asked her things about being starstruck. And then, then yeah. you talked about potatoes. Oh, my God. Please don't remind me. I got really nervous, right? And I think this is the first interview that I can legitimately say that I was I was shaking. And I, I know people are people. But I, I was just so honored to have the ability to talk with her. And the more real she was, the more nervous I got. Because she was <laughs> completely transparent. Um, just... It, I, I, I loved every moment of it. And I'm starting to get choked up again because I'm a dork just yeah. thinking about it. I was I was a big fan of her, just her willingness to talk about whatever, uh, which was, was really cool. And she was so open. You know, a lot of times when we reach out to people mm-hmm. that, that have a big name or a celebrity, even, even in adult content, celebrities there tend to not want to talk to swingers. I don't know why that is, but well, she was really super open. She's like, yeah, fucking A, swinging's awesome. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, the, some of the people we follow very closely, what we love about them is their authenticity. And I know we've talked about that quite a few times as of as of late, e- either just between you and I or on the podcast. Um, and, and I love that she is genuine. She's authentic, good, bad, and different. Yeah, yeah, there was, there's a... She literally doesn't have a fucking filter. No, <laughs> really and doesn't. that's amazing. <laughs> Which is, it was really, really cool. She's, she's not trying to hold on to a persona or an image to put out there. She's just being who she is. No, and I love that. And then I lo- I didn't know this till after we finished the interview because I hadn't seen it, but she's actually making a maternity content for, so adult content for like her OnlyFans and stuff, which is super hot. Like, Oh my just, God. Yeah. Like, and she looks amazing. We saw, I saw some of the pictures on her she's, Twitter and I was just like, wow, hottie, she, check you out. I know, right? Well, she's stunning to begin with. And I was not a cute pregnant lady. I'm going to put that out there right now. <laughs> now I looked like I made like grunting sounds every time I took a step. Um, it was it was not cute. So she, I wasn't there, guys. Stunning, stunning pregnant. Yeah, it was. It was she's she was hot as hell. And, uh, you know, we, we just learned so many cool things about her. We're not going to give it away before you get into the interview. It is a little bit of a longer interview. So once again, we've got a long episode for you guys. But I think it's going to be fun. I think you're going to get into it. And uh Let's talk a little bit about our weekend and our week and what led up to this episode. And <laughs> this has been active. Yeah, it's it's been a um a, a great week actually. I mean, I'm I'm a little tired. Yeah, maybe, maybe maybe I don't need another drink right now. No, maybe, no, I'm yeah. done with the water. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we had you know the interview with with Holly, and we did another interview. I don't know if I'm allowed to say who that was for or who it was with. But we'll, we'll wait a little while to find out when it's going to come out. Yeah, but, uh, that and was a really neat. That was a legit like news anchor that it, interviewed us. So it that was. was crazy, and having the tables turns always a little um, different for me because we're not we're usually ones interviewing somebody else. Very much so, but you know what? I learned a few things from interviewing her, and I was yeah. able to to use that in my my other podcast. That's awesome. So That's really awesome. Excited. And also, we had a, a wonderful weekend. Um, we broke quarantine. Uh Semi quarantine. Kinda. We just opened the door. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we really didn't break quarantine. We just, oh, there's people here. Yeah. So we, the lovely ladies of Sapphic Swingers, decided to come up and Sapphic Sleepers. Sapphic. <laughs> I forgot about that. I yeah. think Tiff slept really well here. Tiff slept the whole weekend. She, she slept in the pool. <laughs> she fell asleep in the fucking pool last night. We actually had to check on her to make sure she wasn't dead. Like, nope, not dead. No, she kept. Thumbs up like every three to five minutes. Right. I great. felt like I needed like a cowbell to bang or something and be like, raise your thumb if you're good. <laughs> and she's, just, I mean, well, we were all sitting there talking around the fire pit and just kind of chatting and, and Tiff stands up and does a little stagger, rips off half her clothing and just jumps in the pool. Right on. And then next thing you know, she's floating and sleeping on a, 
on a floaty. Yeah, you know, and like, we're all like, yeah, that, I, that's normal. Sure. And so mm-hmm. we just sat there and talked to Rachel yeah. while to floated around <laughs> and listened to music. No, but it was a, a fantastic weekend. Um, it, it was sad to see them go. I, it's been so long since we had an opportunity to see them face to face. They're just such wonderful human beings and such a pleasure to be around. My face and my belly hurts from laughing. I really wanted to talk them into staying. I'm like, just stay one more day. It'll be fine. You could just move in. Yeah, it's just our, come we, on. We, got, we go, got the room. Come on. Yes. Yeah, the dogs miss you. Right? Oh, yeah. I'm telling you what. The casual dog is looking around right now going, there's no one here to rub my belly. <laughs> like, really, dude? Seriously? They, they'll be back one day. Yeah. Yeah, they they were they were big fans of the Sapphic Sleepers, but they uh they came up here and hung out with us for the weekend and and we made food on the grill and we hung out in the pool. We went for a Jeep ride, never got out of the Jeep. Yeah. You know, it's it so for a quarantine hangout with some lifestyle friends, it was really good. Yeah, it was great. And I mean, it, it, this environment's very strange, you know, everyone's taking stuff day by day, so it means a lot that they uh came up here and broke their quarantine because, you know, you you want to stay in contact, but you also want to keep that security of your bubble. So keeping that bubble, you know, as, as clean as possible, right, while still trying to be semi-social in a responsible manner takes yeah. a lot of consideration. Well, it was super important to them, too. It, it was, and, and I'm so flattered that they were like, we trust you guys. Well, we haven't done anything or gone anywhere. <laughs> no, <laughs> we're embracing here. our hermit life now. Yeah, we're trying on the introvert hat for a while. See how that yeah. goes. <laughs> well, so that was a lot of fun. We miss you ladies already. You haven't been gone that long, but I hope that it's a safe drive back to the great Fort Lauderdale region. And You know, you yeah. had fun with the cows and the camels. <laughs> the camels. What did I miss with the camels? I missed it too. She just started looking for camels in the field. I don't know why. I don't, I don't know either. I was I like, know. there's a donkey out there somewhere. Yeah, somewhere. Remember the rainbow. Hey, we had a rainbow tonight. We did. I think that was an honor of their departure. It was. We say, oh, that's the funny one of our kids goes, oh, <laughs> and they're gone, too. <laughs> it was in their honor. That's true. That's so true. That was awesome. But, hey, we've got some stuff coming up for you guys. If you're not aware, Virtual Podcast Palooza is coming up at the end of August here in just a couple of weeks. That's August 28th through the 30th. Uh, virtual podcast Palooza is going to be an online only event. That online only event is going to include some of your favorite podcasters like bed hoppers, sex uninterrupted. We got a thing swinging down under monogamous marriage, sapphic swingers or sapphic sleepers. And of course, yours truly these fucking guys. Yeah. right. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's going to be really neat. It goes on all weekend long. So Friday's going to be the welcome party and a DJ set just in a panel, just kind of messing around having some fun. Yeah. I think there's going to be some really great content. Of of course, it's not the platform that was originally planned, but I think it's a great opportunity to still connect with your favorite content creators. I get some valuable information and have a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And I think it's going to give people a, a taste of the lifestyle that they've been missing. So don't miss out, especially Saturday. Saturday's going to be 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. Bed Hoppers and us. Uh, Sex Uninterrupted. There's a panel. And then we got a thing at 4 p.m. Love it. You can get tickets at podcastapalooza.com. That's podcast dash a-palooza.com. They're 25 bucks. So you can get in and check out some of that new content coming your way. Uh, also, we got to see. We got another video date coming up with our friends out in Arizona. Yay, I'm pretty excited I'm about so that. So excited! And that really went well last time. It it lasted longer than like I really thought it would. We it were on did. for hours. There's nothing better than than meeting somebody uh, new and feeling like you've known each other for years and having this like just inherent rapport with each other that you can josh around a bit and have some laughs, but also 
talk sexy. Oh yeah, it's that's awesome. Well, and they are sexy as shit, so that doesn't hurt. But uh, what else we have going on? Let's see. How about Double Date Nation? If you guys didn't know, we're sponsoring a giveaway for Double Date Nation. They didn't ask us to. We did it because we love them. And what it is is they still have lifetime memberships available for a short time more. So if you buy a Double Date Nation lifetime membership between now and September 30th, you're entered into a drawing for a Womanizer Premium. That's $199.99 sex toy or $200 for those of you that are doing the roundup math. That's a Womanizer Premium. It's one of Mallory's favorites on the whole Hands planet. down, hands down my favorite. Yeah, it's a badass toy. Uh, you get one of those if you sign up for a lifetime membership and you win the drawing. That means you go into a drawing for a Womanizer Premium. You don't automatically get one. You do if you win the drawing. Uh, but I still think it's going to be really cool, and we're happy to do that, not only for people that join Double Date, because if you're on there, that means we get to talk to you more. Yeah, and so you can uh, join our community too. Yes, please join our community. So what do they have to enter in order to, isn't there like a promo code or something? Nope, they just have to do it. Dave's going to just pull it. But if they want to use a promo code and get three months free, the code is casual19. Awesome. But it, it doesn't matter. You can use whatever code you want. You can use we got a things code. You can use Safix code. It really doesn't matter. Perfect. If you buy a lifetime membership, you're in for the drawing. Love those guys. Yeah, we do too. So last but not least, just a couple of months ago, we did a thing with Dating Kinky that was called What's Wrong With Swinging? Yes, and we had on the panel um, uh, quite a few content creators that are friends of ours, um, Monogamish Marriage, uh, Sapphic swing Swingers, and Our Naughty Escapades. Yes, so we held a panel where we talked about basically what is wrong, why can't you be a swinger, right? right? I mean, you can be a swinger even if you don't swap. You can be a swinger if you just like to be watched or watch. You, there's a lot of things that make you lifestyle, and so we talked about what's wrong with the term swinging as a panel. And it was really, really good. And Dating Kinky was nice enough to give us that content to release as a show. I know. So we're going to do this a special show. Yeah, I love those guys. Um, Dating Kinky has um, also their own dating web website um, that they've launched. They have a lot of content that's associated with that site. Um, they're, they're just a wonderful group of people, and we're so flattered that they had us on to host. Oh, hell yeah. So uh, that should be a lot of fun. Look out for that. We're hoping we can release that next week. And without too much further ado, we're going to get you guys on with the beautiful, amazing, talented, I can't, I just, I'm going to run out of adjectives before anything else happens, but Holly Randall is with us on Casual Swinger this week, and we're so fucking excited oh, to have her on. I still can't believe I told her about mailing potatoes. You really, I don't know where the Please don't judge me, folks. Please don't. Oh, yeah. Mallory and her spuds, folks. <laughs> my spuds are duds all right well can you and your spuds tell people how the hell to find us since we skipped it in the interview you're like everybody knows already fuck it so <laughs> why don't you go ahead and tell them now before we get on with holly Randall. sure guys you can find us as casual swinger everywhere feel free to go to the website which is casualswinger.com. you can shoot us a message podcast at casual swinger you love us drop us a note uh say something positive on apple Podcasts. that'd be awesome that'd be super cool yeah itunes um, and we're again, casual swing everywhere, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Instagram, and all the dating sites because we love sex with you <laughs> and that's double date nation, uh, SLS, SDC, uh, quiver, Cassidy, and probably others I'm forgetting. That's all right. I think that's enough of them folks. Hey, we'll be back in just a hot second with the amazing Holly Randall. You've been listening to casual swinger.
Welcome back to another episode of Casual Swinger. I'm your co-host, Mallory. And my name's Mickey. And we have an exciting guest for you today. I'm going to be uh, fangirling a little bit, so please bear with me. Uh, you're excited? I've been dancing around like an asshole for the last like two days over this thing. <laughs> yeah, we have uh, Miss Holly Randall on with us. Hey, Holly. Hi, how are you guys? So let's tell our listeners who Holly is if they don't already know. Well, I kind of think we need to let Holly tell people who she is. But, you know, for us, this was a big deal. So there's a lot of people over the course of history, you know, that in, in our swinger history and lifestyle history that have really stood out to us. And I mm -hmm. love content creators. I love people that have an eye to catch stuff. And so I've known, first of all, I knew who Holly's mom was. And then, and then all of a sudden she came on the scene and I'm like, holy shit, it runs in the family. So we're betting that anybody and everybody knows exactly who you are, Holly. But let's talk about your life for a couple of minutes. You're a photographer, you're a director, you're an educator, you're a podcaster, you're a daughter. Sounds like you're a sister. You've got a shitload of titles. So tell us a little bit about your life and how this path to fame happened. Yeah, uh, we can actually add soon to be mother to that. I'm Congrats. I'm, Congratulations. I'm having a baby girl in October. Aw. Libra <laughs> babies like, are the bomb. Yeah, Libras are pretty fun. I know everybody keeps telling me that and I'm like, I don't know anything about astrology, so I don't know what that means. But I don't okay. either, but I'm a Libra and I'm pretty fun. Okay. Well then then thank God. She's like sold. <laughs> sold. Uh yeah, I don't know. You kind of covered all of the bases. Uh I've actually never been called an educator before, so that's exciting. <laughs> that's a new title that I'm definitely gonna add to my repertoire. But I think that that probably just comes from the podcast. And if anything, the podcast has educated me um, on so many things. And hopefully I'm passing that education on to my guests as well. So I guess that does make sense. Yeah, a, a little bit, right? And I think that you do some photography classes too, right? You teach. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I do. I haven't. So I haven't done a photography workshop in a while. I actually I was doing them about twice a year and then I kind of stopped uh, doing them in person just because they were so exhausting. They were so much work. And I just had so many shooting jobs that I was really overextending myself. So I started working on doing online courses um, and then quarantine and COVID hit. So that kind of you know, uh, closed the door on that. I was able to get like one, one episode out, but, um, my plan to create a bunch of different courses got put on pause, but yeah. So, um, I've definitely taught people stuff about photography and that's, that's really fun. I actually wanted to be a teacher when I was younger. I thought I was going to become an English teacher. So it's kind of nice to combine my love of photography and teaching into the same thing. That is awesome. But so you, uh, for people that don't know you and don't know who your mom is, uh, talk about kind of just how you went from point A to point B. Like, I know it's in your bio, but maybe they didn't read it. <laughs> right? That's, nobody reads anything anymore. Come on. Right? It's gotta That's be video. True. That is true. <laughs> so my mother is Suze Randall and she's considered one of the female pioneers in the adult industry, I would think. She was a prolific um, erotic photographer. She directed some movies as well, but back in like the late 70s, early 80s. But 
that really wasn't her thing. Her thing was mostly photography. And, you know, back in the day, you could actually make a living as a photographer just shooting for magazines. I know that doesn't exist anymore, but that once was a possibility. So uh, I started working for my parents when I was 20. Um, I kind of thought it was a transitional job between, you know, um, I had just come back from Santa Barbara where I was going to school and I was transitioning to go to UCLA and finish up my degree in world literature. And I thought I was going to maybe become an English teacher, like I had mentioned. And I started, you know, working for them in the office and figuring I'd just help out with admin stuff. And I just got kind of sucked into the world of porn and never left. <laughs> <laughs> so before I get on to the, the first question that I want to ask you, this just had a thought. We have... Uh kids and they're very well of our lifestyle and our podcast. Were you always aware of what your mom did? Like growing up, was it always out in the open? Yes. Yes, it was. Um, it's, I don't remember ever having this epiphany, ever finding out this, this moment. I think probably the way my parents explained it to me when I was very young was something like, you know, mommy and daddy take pictures and make movies for grownups. And this is not, you know, it's not appropriate for you to look at these magazines that we make. And when you're grown up, you can look at them. And that was kind of like the extent of my understanding. And, you know, when you're, when you're very young, you don't really care what your parents do for a living. Fair. That's fair. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I obviously became more curious as I hit puberty and got older, but you know, I wasn't raised with any kind of sense of shame about sexuality or nudity or anything like that. My mom always told me that the female body was a beautiful thing and a natural thing. And so I think because my parents didn't make it this huge, big taboo, uh, I never saw it as a big deal. So, you know, like normalcy is relative. And mm -hmm. I grew up in what I felt was a very normal uh, household. And so I don't think it was ever really a problem for me. And I have a brother and a sister who are not in the adult industry at all. And, you know, they have very normal lives. So I think we had, we had a pretty normal upbringing despite, oh. you know, what my parents do for a living. I love that. I love that. One of our favorite things that our, our kids have ever said is that they have the most sex positive parents. And to me, I, I kind of wear that as a badge of honor. And so in my thought, I was wondering if that is part of what led you down the road. Cause it sounds like you had a different career in mind and then when you went to work for your parents or your mother, that that, that course kind of changed. Do you, do you think some of that fed into the, your ultimate decision in your path? Well, I will tell you that photography has been a passion of mine since I took my first class at 12. Uh, so I, I always loved, I actually always wanted to be a photographer. So when I was, when I was very young, I, I thought I would become a fashion photographer and that was my dream. And then as I got older, I became afraid of trying to pursue a career in the arts because, you know, that's difficult and it's not all that stable. And I thought, well, it's safer to choose a career in education. And literature is another thing that I love. My father was an English teacher and my grandfather on both sides. And so I thought, okay, well, that's, that's a safer path to follow. And so when I started working for my parents, and that really was at the very beginning of the internet. So it was a 
like this, this time, this incredibly transitional time. So my, my mom found herself in a situation where she was no longer beholden to any of her clients any of her magazine clients. And she suddenly had found all this independence in her work that she'd never had before. And that cultivated an environment of, you know, extreme creativity, um, times were easy. We had big budgets. It was just really, really fun. And the environment was a wonderful one. I know people have a very often have a very specific idea of what they think porn sets are like, but I can tell you that a Suze Randall set is nothing like what most people think porn sets are like. So the experience for me was very, very positive. And I was like, why wouldn't I want to stay? This is, this is so much fun. We're doing really cool shit and we're making a lot of money. And, um, so I stayed. Yeah. Well, I think that there's really two keys there, right? We're doing really cool shit and we're making a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I would Too bad that didn't last. No. I was going to say, you know, a lot of people don't have the opportunity to do either, let alone both at the same time at all in their lifetime. Mm -hmm. So that that's that's something really special. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, I think most people would put dog shit in a box and ship it for a lot of money. So they would do whatever Dude, for people, a lot of money. People ship potatoes to each other. That's true. And, they, and those, those guys make potato, no, millions you know? of dollars. <laughs> yeah, you can. A face on a potato. That can happen. The world is strange. <laughs> That wait, you can. I feel like I need to learn more about this. What what are we talking about? Uh, it's, so the the strange world we live in, like a, an idea like that that can make you a lot of money in a short amount of time. Um, there there was a company I can't think of the name, but you used to be able to like put your face or a message on a potato, and you can mail the potato. I think it was on Shark Tank. It was. It's potatoparcel.com. Yeah. Yeah, potatoparcel.com. You can literally send them an image, and they will superimpose the image onto a potato and ship it to somebody. Yeah, because there was no rules against shipping potatoes, a potato, and standard USPS mail. Right. Yeah, lawless spuds flying <laughs> all over the country. So strange. So, and this was a profitable venture, I assume. A lot of people did this. Yeah, they got like a two hundred fifty thousand dollar investment from a shark. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah. Really I did. think I think the novelty has worn off in the the past couple of years, but. I mean, I, I've had Why? coworkers. It sounds so sustainable. <laughs> well, I mean, I think they branched out into avocados and a few other various vegetables, but avocados they don't last are, as long. I was going to say avocados are temperamental because it's like you wait three days for it to ripe, and then like in an hour, it's it's overripe right. and rotten. You're supposed to throw That's them true. Uh, avocadoairmail.com. Yes. <laughs> but anyway. Wasn't there, wasn't there, not to take us totally off topic. Oh, fuck. Where we are go. we now? Um, wasn't there a service where you could actually send dog shit to people that you didn't like oh my god i, would I don't totally know do but that. we're googling that after this i'm pretty sure that there was i have that's, a list that's better than the glitter bomb yeah yeah you know you can yeah, send definitely. a bag of gummy dicks to people too you can you eat and it yes. says eat a bag of dicks on the front of the bags awesome. i like the cho yeah, but, chocolate assholes better oh yeah have you seen that one holly no i haven't but that's like delicious dog shit is not so. <laughs> dog, that's, that's true. true you don't want to confuse the two yeah i don't i wouldn't send like a bag of gummy dicks to someone i didn't like that's true. At least they're delicious. And chocolate assholes. I mean, it just looks like your butthole and it's made out of chocolate. But anyway, mm. so I'm going to take us back to the topic at <laughs> sorry, hand, sorry. talking about your amazing life. Uh, so doing what we do, you know, every once in a while we come across people that, you know, I'm not going to say we're hanging out with Mel Gibson or anything, but we've met a few people that are kind of celebrities. And I always get a little gooey eyed, especially like we met some of my, our favorite authors and things like that. But you have photographed actual fucking famous people 
Do you ever get starstruck anymore? No. Neither. <laughs> you're just no. like, oh, yeah, you're a regular person. Nope. Yeah, well, because, I mean, to me, they are. I guess, I don't know. I mean, I guess as adult stars, they are famous to certain people. But to me, they're just like my my colleagues. I don't know. Yeah, I never get starstruck. The, the, you know, the adult industry is very much like a like a small little family. So I don't know that, especially if you've been in the industry for a long time, I don't know that we get starstruck by each other. Yeah, you just all kind of know each other. Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. got to be kind of a, a relief because when you think about the art and performance and the planning and everything when you're in the zone, like that's probably a better perspective to have on it so that you can focus on the details that you need to be successful. Yeah. And I think also too, um, a lot of these like big adult stars, I was shooting them when they were brand new. So like Riley Reed, um, you know, like people before they blew up and became really big, Mm -hmm. I was working with them. So I'd known them before they were famous. So it wasn't like they came to me and they were this big name. It was like I had, you know, I'd already worked with them. So we kind of, you know, I just saw them as like a regular person. So you work with them before they knew where to put their hands. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> we'll get into yes. that later. <laughs> yes. Oh, Someone's been doing their stuff. research. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I know your website well. Um, as an artist, what are some of the most things, what are the things you're most proud of in this space? Is it your favorite, like, piece of work like the photo the the film maybe your podcast because I mean that's an art form too yeah I mean they're all so different I I, I'm definitely very proud of some of the photography that I've done I'm I'm working on an art book right now so I'm really trying to kind of get out of the box and and step back from my typical glamour shooting Mm -hmm. and do different things Um, I'm shooting on film again which is crazy so oh, really yeah that's exciting so it is it's actually really cool because it's kind of like christmas because you don't get to see what you're shooting at the time and so you have to wait for the film to get developed and then come back to you so it's like the anticipation is really fun so i've been enjoying that very much but you know i've been doing photography for a long time and the way that my podcast has grown and influenced people is an entirely different thing. So I think that, yeah, you could probably say I'm the most proud of my podcast, maybe because it's also like a newer thing for me. But, you know, before when I was shooting just porn, which was great, and don't get me wrong, I I love my job. And, you know, I had fans that said wonderful things about my work. But I never felt like I ever made any kind of impact in the way that my podcast has you know when I have people tell me that they see porn stars differently because of my show they see the adult industry differently because of my show I've had these wonderful letters from people that have told me that listening to my show has improved their relationship with their significant other that it's helped them deal with sexual trauma that it's helped them overcome like their fear of intimacy I mean all these insane things that I never would have imagined I never thought that I would ever create something that would have that kind of impact on somebody's life. And look, like I'm not going to take the credit, you know, this is all due to the fact that I have wonderful guests on who are incredibly open and honest and raw with me and tell these inspirational stories. So it's, it's all thanks to them. 
but yeah, that kind of response, you know, I never, nobody ever really told me that, you know, my photography was so good that it like helped them deal with a deep, dark depression and it like saved their marriage. You know what I'm saying? So it's been, uh, so that's been an entirely different experience, which has been really wonderful. So here's a thing that it just came to mind actually, but you said you went back to working in film. So one of the things that I found when digital photography became a thing is it allowed you to suck more and take a lot more photos looking for the perfect shot, perfect pose, perfect look. And so the question is, do you take more photos raw or do you take less now that you're shooting on film instead of digital? Oh, I take less. I think because I combine it with the digital, I shoot some digital frames to cover my ass <laughs> and then I shoot some film because I mean, I'm not going to lie. I haven't shot on film in such a long time. So it's still almost a little bit of a learning curve. And also I'm working with like an old camera that doesn't have autofocus. So mm. I was shooting these, these pictures of Jenna Fox actually, and it was at sunset and the sun was behind her. And so the glare was really strong. It was very difficult for me to see and very difficult for me to focus. So my focus wasn't really on in a lot of the shots, but like, you know, I just kind of like added more grain and like pulled back and, you know, increased the flare. And I was like, it's art. The beauty of post-production. Yeah. (laughs) Supposed to be out of focus. You know, like you can kind of get away with that with film, you know? Yeah. Some of the Uh, most beautiful things in life start as mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but I definitely am taking, um, just less also too, because it's, you know, 36 frames. I mean, the the biggest roll of film you can get is 36 frames. Right. Mm. So, whereas you can get a digital card and you can shoot like 500 pictures on it. So I don't have as much that I can shoot on one roll anyways. And generally I'm juggling between two cameras and trying to do a million things in a day. So, that's so definitely what, less. That's what nobody tells you when you get into photography is that you carry a lot of heavy shit, right? Yeah. So you better be in shape. There's no such thing as a really fat photographer. It just doesn't. That's not true. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you right now that is 100% not true. But I will say that uh, it it's best <laughs> to be in better shape because especially if you want to get different angles, get on the floor get up high, um, move around a lot. If you, you know, don't have the money for a big crew and you got to help move furniture and lights and stuff like that, that stuff's exhausting. Oh. I just assumed all of you did yoga. Right. Go yoga. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. So let's talk about unfiltered for a minute. So your podcast is called Holly Randall unfiltered and mm-hmm. it shines a very bright light on the adult industry. And that's not a bad thing. The episodes are insightful, funny, and in my opinion, authentic. So what we want to know is what drove you to start Unfiltered and how's it been received in the industry and more importantly, the mainstream? So I started my podcast during like a very dark time in my life, actually. I was having this kind of existential crisis where I had, um, I'd been terminated from my job at Playboy I, I'm back shooting with them now and they're being run by completely different people. So I just want to like point that out there that I'm not like here to like say shit about Playboy like they're great. <laughs> but, you know, they were going through this, some transitional phases and they had some new leadership and they didn't like my work. So so they, they terminated me, which was really heartbreaking for me because I'd been their main producer 
uh, for Playboy Plus is, sorry, I should specify not the magazine because I know people get confused. Um, so for the website Playboy Plus, I've been their main producer for like seven years and I'd shot all their Cyber Girl of the Year stuff. They'd flown me to Mexico and to Costa Rica, you know, and I'd wow. done some of the best work in my life for them. And I was very proud of working for Playboy. You know, it's a household name. And, and then another one of my clients pretty much dropped me from like, I don't know, six to eight scenes a month to one for reasons I still don't really know why. And, um, you know, I just had some other situations. Like I had, I left the people who were running my website and they ripped me off for a bunch of money and Ooh, started a new one. A and shit month. I just had, yeah, a lot of things happened at once. It was really, really terrible. I think my father was diagnosed with Parkinson's at the same time. It was just a bad, bad time. And I had relapsed um, from being, I'd been sober for seven years and I had relapsed. And even though like my drinking wasn't insanely out of control, it was still something that I was having a difficult time managing. And then after all those things happened, it definitely got worse because, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't cope with the depression and, and it was a really awful time. And so I was forced to really think about, okay, well, what is my place now? What am I going to do for a living? Like, it's very difficult for someone who, when, especially when you've been so, you know, active in the adult industry and your face is out there and, and, you know, there's no hiding what you do. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to transition into another career. I mean, I certainly couldn't become an English teacher now, right? That was not possible. <laughs> you need to take up yeah, fucking accounting. True, actually. <laughs> yeah, that was never yeah. going to happen. So, and, uh, you know, I just felt like there was no place for me in the adult industry. You know, a lot of really amazing directors had come in and these companies were shooting these incredible movies. And, and I just felt, you know, really out of my depth and, and so I thought, okay, what can I do? What makes me special? What makes me different? What advantages do I have that maybe other people in the industry don't? And I thought, well, I like to talk. Um, <laughs> I hear this, I hear this podcasting thing is doing really well. And I have a lot of friends in the adult industry and, and people who I think respect me. And I'd really love the opportunity to show the world what the adult industry is really like from an insider's perspective rather than, you know, the mainstream outsider's perspective, which is usually very biased and, you know, yeah. seeks to fill a negative narrative. And um, so I thought, well, you know, I'll just, I'll do 10 episodes and um, I'll see how it goes. It probably won't go anywhere. And I did. And it did really well. And almost immediately I had like incredible feedback and I never stopped. That's amazing. And, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and that was actually three years ago. I keep forgetting to check the actual date, but like I'm coming up on my three year anniversary like this month at some wow, time. Wow, congratulations. Yes. Big, Thank yeah, you. absolutely. Congratulations. I have to give you two kudos here because when you're in a place like that, and I can raise my hand and say, yeah, I've, I've been to the darkest places um, in, in myself as well. And to have that introspection and, and to step back and try to highlight the good in yourself, because it's not really a place you're, you're naturally going to go when you're in that state. Mm -hmm. And then to take a step forward and take a chance during all of that. So huge kudos to you. That's amazing. Thank and I'm you. glad it's turned out really positive for you. Thank you. I mean, I think I've always been a fighter. And I, I also think, too, that 
a lot of it has to do with the experience that I had my first time trying to get sober. Cause you know, being, um, being an active alcoholic is a, having an addiction is a terrible thing. Mm. And it's, it's really awful in the way that you can't, when you can't control your own behavior, no matter how much you want to, it's really, really scary. And so when I got sober the first time, it forced me to learn so much about myself and incorporate and coping skills and get a support system and look at things in a different way and try to always find the silver lining and know that no matter what I went through, I could always get out of it. Cause that was the one thing that getting sober gave me. It was gave me an enormous, it gave me that, that confidence to know that like, if I could beat that, I could do anything. So even though I had fallen back into it, I knew I could get out of it again because I had done it before. And so I think all of that just really helped me and had and given me, um, like I had mentioned, the tools to wade out of that dark hole again. Uh, I'm stunned because that feeling that you're careening out of control, you're about to go rocketing off the side of a mountain at any time is terrifying and something that most people can't deal with. Right. That's why we're all control freaks at, at heart. So yeah, good on you. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm almost speechless. Uh, and, and again, I don't have words to like tell you how you better. You're a fucking podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> I'm searching for him. Cause I'm, I'm still, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little starstruck. So I feel myself like stuttering in my throat, like tickling every time I go to speak. Um, anyway, I'm going to embarrass myself here, but no, I, I think it's, it's amazing. And it's, it's an inspiration. I mean, to come out of it. I mean, cause as a woman and a business owner and now soon to be mom and you know, this, the resume that you have is just so impressive on its face. And then to humanize yourself and go, fuck this. I'm a fighter. I'm scrappy. I'm going to move forward and I'm going to kick ass while I'm doing it. It's well, just, it's like the minute you give up hope, that's when it's all over. Yeah, man. You know? So I think what we're going to do is we're just going to isolate all your titles down to storyteller. <laughs> I like that. I like that too. So some of our guests that uh, we've had on have really compelling angles. Um, and with you in the industry, like you've had uh, sex is art with Sasha Gray, uh, family integrity and race and s- racism. Um, even like, what was it? The medieval sex? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was yeah. a fun one. Yeah. So the, like the lifestyle has struggled, especially in recent years. I think it's, we're, we're seeing an improvement there, but there's an ongoing consent conversation that's happening and the levels of nuance involved in, in many of these different situations. While you were directing um, and an advocate, is, is there anything that you've covered in relation to like adult films in this area? Is the conversation ongoing in, in your opinion? Uh, like, for example, with the guests on your podcasts? You talk about like consent and boundaries and, and all that around sex. Oh man, that is, I feel like we talk about that in every single episode, especially now since we've kind of, especially now since the, the, the Me Too movement and then anybody who kind of pays attention to the microcosm that is like the sex work, social media mm-hmm. um, space knows that we've kind of had like the second wave of Me Too over the last few months since quarantine happened. And a lot of directors have been outed for abuse, um, for covering up abuse. So it's something that's impossible not to talk about. And, you know, I have clients that are very concerned about this and 
and are working actively on a code of conduct on set to make sure that, you know, these, these abuses don't happen with their directors. And it's been a very teachable moment for me as a woman. Obviously I never want any female performer on my set to ever feel taken advantage of, to ever feel like she's pushed into doing something that she doesn't want to do. And I've always thought that I was careful to watch for that, that I cultivated a culture on set where women felt safe and they felt like they could speak up. And also too, like I generally don't shoot very hardcore stuff. I don't shoot a lot of like gang bangs or double anal or anything like that. So mm -hmm. I kind of always felt that my sets were, were safe. You know, I would never have that problem, but listening to women talk about their experiences and especially listening to women talk about how, you know, they were afraid to speak up on set for a multitude of reasons. I realized that, uh, that wasn't really good enough that I just thought because I was a woman, I could read the room and I could, I could tell if you were uncomfortable with the scene. And so it's really driven me to, make sure that boundaries are discussed before we start the scene. I think we're probably going to revert to like a written consent list. Once we go back to shooting, it's kind of an interesting time because we're having all these discussions on how to improve adult sets and, uh, you know, create this, this code of conduct and this, this culture of safety, but we're not really back to sh most companies aren't back to shooting really yet. At least that like, you know, I shoot for twisties. That's my main client. We're not back to shooting yet. So we haven't really been able to institute all of these news, new ideas that we have. Um, but I think like written consent lists will probably come into it. There's been talk about having, um, advocates like liaisons for the models on set. So there's been a lot of discussion about how to make sure that adult sets are much safer and enjoyable for everybody. And I definitely welcome all of those conversations and, you know, I always do my best to make sure that everybody on set is happy and has a good time. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a conversation that is ongoing and, um, I think is important. And I'm really glad that, that this has all come up. Yeah. It, it sounds like your perspective has, has probably changed over, you know, the last few years as this has been going on. And, you know, just before me too, you actually interviewed, uh, the president CEO founder of evil angel who has mm -hmm. come under a lot of criticism for some things yeah. that have happened on this, on his sets. And, uh, I think you did a great job. I think you addressed some of it during that podcast. I was really happy to see that, but you know, has your, has your perspective changed, uh, over the, over time? That was a difficult interview for me. And that was actually in a direct response to the interview I'd had prior with Ginger Banks, who, you know, had issues with him. And then John Stagliano reached out to me and said, I would like to come and tell my side. So, um, that was, tricky for me. I actually don't feel like I navigated that conversation as well as I could have. I don't think that I challenged him enough. Um, but I was, uh, you know, nervous and, um, I was, in, I still feel inexperienced, you know, as an interviewer for sure. So, um, so yeah, that was, uh, that was a difficult one. And, you know, there's been back and forth about that since then, and ultimately, you know, I wasn't there. I don't know exactly what happened. And there's a lot of he said, she said. But I think 
what that whole thing made me realize. And that was kind of part of the key of, of me recognizing that it's really important to listen to people who feel victimized on set. And it's important to recognize that people may not speak up at the time because they don't feel comfortable doing so. And it just reiterated the importance of communication and checking in with the models. And, you know, like I mentioned, not assuming that people, you know, because one person can say, oh, this is a vanilla scene. Well, a vanilla scene means one thing to one person and something different to somebody else. Especially if you're a swinger. Yes, <laughs> that's very true. Yeah, so it just like that, that whole thing really made me recognize, you know, how incredibly important all of all of that is. And there's a real, there's a real change in the culture in the adult industry. And it's, you know, it's important that, that women have the feel okay and, and feel empowered to speak up. And, you know, the rest of us have a lot to learn from that, myself included. There's a lot of change in culture period going on in the world right now. And I don't think it's a bad thing on by almost any measure. Uh, the fact that you feel like you didn't do a great job in that interview and you should have challenged him more is reflective of how difficult it is to be a woman in in the adult industry and have something to say and be talking to a powerful person and feel like you have a question you have to ask, but sometimes it's hard. So yeah. even today, that might be easier, but it's still hard. It's hard because you rely on the adult industry and the fact that you did it at all, we're, we're proud to know you for that. So thank, thank you for you. doing what you do. Thank you, I uh, appreciate that. So let's have some more fun because this is getting heavy and that's not what we do on Casual Swingers. So. Yeah, I think this is great though. But it yes, is. And we have some fun questions for you. So the, as, as many couples, whether you're boyfriend and girlfriend or, or just hooking up, a lot of people's first area of play that they go into is photography. Whether it's selfies or full-on sex photography, it's been around since before Polaroids, you know, shake it like a Polaroid picture. But anyway, so what role do you think photography plays in the bedroom and why is it so thrilling to get a nude or sexy image from your favorite person? I think one of my favorite things about photography is so I have this kind of obsession with time and like the passing of time and, and that's a whole other thing. But the thing about photography, it's a, it's a way to freeze a moment in time that will never happen again, right? Each moment that passes by will never ever be duplicated. And photography can freeze that moment in time for you. And, and maybe there's some kind of controlling aspect to that, that I like, but, but I, but I love that. And if you can, t when you can take a great photograph and you can encapsulate the feeling of the, the, the feeling of that moment and you know the person and a certain expression and a certain body position there's something really magical about that and i think that we when we take that and we apply that to sex and to nudity you know we're really embracing our sexuality in a way that we don't perhaps always do that we're like committing it to eternity you know by by taking this photo and you know there's obviously something quite risque about it as well because you've now created this permanent marker of this moment. You know, not everybody wants nudes of themselves floating around because that could go out to people that they don't want to see that. So that, that could be very thrilling for some people. And it's a way to capture an intimate moment as well. So you can kind of go and reflect back on it, which is really nice. We call that a spank tank. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's also it reflects like the level of trust you have in another person and how yes. you want to embrace the moment. So 
a, a fun fact, I have a family member that was really, really close with, that is not here with us anymore. And one of the things I used to love to do is go through old photo albums and and those albums to me, we call them time traveling because, I mean, some some of the photos dated back to like the early 1900s. Wow, I was mm-hmm. terrified when yeah. you were going with that. No, 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 no. So I, I'm, I am not a good photographer. I'm not a good subject matter because I never, I'm really awkward, but I love the ability to go back and look at moments, like you said, that were captured and, and it's it's there for eternity. It's it, it makes me sentimental. Like even in the more risque photos that we take personally, I look back and, and he's probably got, I don't know, 2,000, 3,000 on our drive here. Oh, way more of than just that. me, which is, it, it make, makes my heart full. I have 2,000 on I my phone. But I can point to some of them and go, oh man, that night, do you remember? And this was during the time of this and and it it starts to pull from your memory bank and for me that's that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I've always been it's it's funny so I've always kept I've always taken a lot of pictures ever since, you know, elementary school and I've always diligently stored them in photo albums. So I have like 12 photo albums spanning all through high school, all through college. And we're cleaning out some of the rooms at my parents' house and we found like my old photography work from when I was at Brooks Institute. And some of the stuff I shot when I was in high school, and it's fucking hilarious. It's so funny <laughs> to go back and look at my old work. Like I, I have these like really stupid like moody collages of black and white pictures I s- took of my little sister with like a quote from The Cure underneath, and it's, you know, and it's me really trying to like figure out my creative process. And I look at it now, and I'm like, oh, this is terrible. But I remember at the time thinking that you know this was like the best shot that I'd ever taken, but I'm so glad that I have those. And, um, it is fun to go back and look at them and, and reflect back on, you know, a simpler time. You should see the shit I wrote in high school, Holly. It's unreadable. It's, <laughs> but at the time that's, I that's thought your, I was going to get a Pulitzer. Yeah. Well, no, that's your handwriting. It wasn't necessarily the words. <laughs> You're a fabulous writer. I'm biased, but you are. So, now in today like how do you define a great photo like what does that even mean uh i think that ultimately it has to like all art it has to evoke some kind of emotion right so it has to make you feel a certain sort of way whether it is um happy or sad or amused or whatnot and obviously everybody's opinions are are different but yeah, it's hard to pinpoint that it's one particular thing. It's just a balance of of many things, of the subject matter, of the the texture, of the lighting. Um, I mean, sometimes it's even like you get it's funny, sometimes you can take a picture that isn't like all that great, but if you like f- blow it up really big and then frame it nicely, suddenly it feels like it's art. Like it's you know, the hype can add to it as well. Um, so there's what do so you mean many by different hype? Well, so if you see, like, if you have somebody who has a gallery show, right. And they have like all this publicity written up about it. And if you saw one of the photos, maybe by itself as a four by six on a table, it would be something that you wouldn't even look at that you would kind of pass by. But if it's mounted and framed and it's in an art gallery and it's given some kind of significance based on the buzz around it, then it, you see it differently. So it's just, it's interesting. There's a lot, I mean, you know, they talk a lot about how art is all about, um, 
you know, the art world is all about like the buzz. Yeah. The presentation. Yeah. Yeah. Some people find it very pretentious in that way because, you know, I think everybody's like heard that or, you know, kind of joked about like a white canvas that's that sold for a hundred thousand dollars because it was done by some specific artist who was supposed to be, you know, the, the, the hottest thing. And, and, you know, and then one person can see one thing and be like, this is art, this is terrible. And then some other person sees a huge amount of value in it. Right. I just want to see Jackson Pollock's contract with Satan. <laughs> I mean, really. <laughs> the, yeah. I mean, you, you see what I'm saying? Like it's, you know, and maybe, you know, one could say, oh, we have an untrained eye, but I've definitely been to art galleries and, and seen photography. And I'm like, this is terrible. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. I, I take a lot of photos of Mallory. So my secret, people ask me about the photos that I take of her and, and what's our secret for a great photo. I and say no to 99.9% of them. <laughs> she does. She doesn't like any pictures I take of her. But for me, it's always, there's the focus of the photo isn't necessarily what you think it is until post-production. When you go back and look at it and go, wait a minute, there's something else in this photo that if I make that the focus, this becomes a lot more interesting or this to this photo tells a different story. If I do this with it, maybe it's green, maybe it's a, a, a tint or a sepia or something like that. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's a lot of different things, but the, the question I have for you is most people in their bedroom don't have a professional photographer. It's just not an option. And having your partner directly involved in the process can sometimes bring a level of foreplay that you never even imagined. So mm -hmm. what would advice would you give us and our listeners? Because I imagine both people out there are listening to the show right now that like us. So how do you take great photos at home? And is there different advice that you would give if they were doing your standard boudoir versus truly erotic or sexual photos? So, well... So my favorite thing is window light, right? That is one of the usually like Ooh. the most beautiful light that you can find. It's a huge source of soft light um, unless the sun's coming directly through it. And then that can be interesting in its own way. So for me, like I love lighting stuff with window light. But somebody pointed out to me when I was giving advice about how to take sexy pictures. I was like, oh, use window light. It's beautiful. And someone pointed out to me like, well, most people want to take like sexy pictures at night when the sun's not out. You know what I mean? Usually That's people aren't, aren't feeling like shooting boudoir photos at three o'clock in the afternoon. And I was like, oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> and so without having to go, cause lighting is so complicated and actually what's more important than looking at where the light falls is looking at where the shadows fall. That is more important than where the light falls because bad shadows is what makes a bad picture. Good uh -huh. shadows is what can make a great photo. So there's some basic kind types of shadow play that in portraiture that you can look at. Like there's like Rembrandt lighting that you'll learn in basic photography, but ultimately you want to, and it's, it's so hard to generalize, right? Because I can say, like, this is the standard that you should follow. But then some amazing pictures. Like, one of the things about photography is that you learn the rules so that you learn how to break them and and, and make those images look great. So you really want to look at, yeah, like I said, where the shadows fall. So if you want to do something simple and just flattering light, the ring light is is your friend. And you can get a ring light on Amazon for really cheap and they usually come with like an iPhone attachment or a smartphone attachment, I should say, like inside the ring light where you can put your, your iPhone camera. And then you've got really flattering light. 
because generally like beauty lighting is when the light source is as close to the camera as possible because then it washes out any imperfections. You don't really worry about where the shadows fall because there generally aren't any because you're front lighting and everything. So if you just want something that's simple and flattering, uh, my best advice is just to keep the light source, the main light source as close to the camera as possible. And a ring light will definitely give you that. The other thing that you have to really be careful about is you need to look at your background. And a lot of people don't do this. And especially if you're working with a camera that is not doesn't have manual capabilities. You don't know how to manually adjust it. The camera will always look for the brightest spot in the room if it's on automatic and it will automatically expose for that. So if the brightest spot in the room is a really bright lamp behind you, it's going to expose for the light coming out of that lamp and you standing in front of the lamp are going to be dark. Ah. So that's also a really important thing to think about. And you can do things like, you know, put a diffusion over lights. Um, you just make sure you don't set your house on fire. Okay. <laughs> Pro tip. I'm going to go with that's probably a bad plan for me because I've set my vacuum cleaner on fire. But also too, like you can get different colored light bulbs also, which can work. So oh, if you're okay. shooting in your bedroom and you want to give it like a moodier, more nighttime feel, consider switching out the light bulbs in your lamps with blue ones or red ones. And then you won't have this really harsh, bright light behind you. You'll have a softer, more colorful light, which also can just add more interest to the setting in general. I love that. So when you say like, um, like the autofocus, I'm, I'm just the, the average show. I have an, like my iPhone, right. And I'm using yeah. a camera. Mm -hmm. Does that lighting not only talk of like, when you talk about that, is that a, not just in reference to the actual light source, like a bulb, but also the coloring behind you. So if I'm standing with a bunch of like bright white background, mm -hmm. does that make a difference versus a darker or more uh, detailed background where there's other things going on? Are we talking about terms in color balance? Or are we talking about light? Oh, I'm just an amateur because when the you made the light, the effect of light, yeah, because I mean, there's the the refraction and the absorption right between like white and black, mm -hmm. right? So that that has different effects. So is that something I should be conscious of when I'm trying to help? Because I'll be very honest. When we try to take photos, I get very frustrated because I'm standing there and I'm trying to because I I'm just very awkward. I don't know what to do with my face and my hands. And I'm trying to ask for direction. I'm like, is this light better? Does this spot work? And I think we have a debate over, you know, how is it translating? Is this right? So there's, you know, 150, what I would consider fails in the process for, you know, one or two good pictures. What is the issue that you come across the most? Because there's so many, <laughs> there's so many things that can go wrong when you're taking a photo. <laughs> for me. And, and sometimes it, you don't even know until you take it. Like, I've taken photos, you know, I've set up something where I thought, oh, this is going to look amazing. And then it wasn't until I took the photo that I realized that the background wasn't working. Like it was a highly reflective paint on the wall, maybe something uh, like that, okay. that you don't see with the naked eye. But the minute you hit it with a flash, it's like this bright hot spot. And you're like, oh, that's not going to work. Yeah. Um, I think he notices more of the background stuff than I do. For me, it's all in, it's not me being hypercritical of myself and my body because I, I feel like I'm really comfortable in it. But when I look at pictures of myself, I look really boxy or really tense or like my, I'm like, oh my God, my, my body looks great there. But what am I doing with my face? I look like I'm constipated. <laughs> like, what is that? 
Okay, so now we're talking more about posing. We're not talking about lighting so much, right? Yeah, I think yeah, I think I'm, I was trying to get down the road, and I did a poor job of that. Like um, posing and angles for me is probably what I'd like to learn more about. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, there's so many different things about photography to learn, right? And there's so many like things to think about. It's this is why this is an art that takes years to perfect. I mean, you never perfect it, right? I'm always learning. And uh, okay, so with posing, so generally being completely straight onto the camera is usually not everybody's most flattering angle. You generally want to go turn a slight three quarters so that you can start to see the shape of your body so that you could, it opens up the curve of the waist. It opens up the curve of the boob, the butt, that kind of thing. When you're straight on, you can be pretty boxy. So doing a slight angle away from the camera and you'll see too, if you kind of experiment, do it, do a straight on shot and then turn slightly away and you'll see that it brings out the shape in your body. Um, relaxing your shoulders is a big thing. That's something that a lot of people do. Uh, people never know what to do with their hands, right? Oh, That's like yes. the biggest thing. I have chicken hands. Like, <laughs> I look like chicken feet. Okay. So God, I mean, I could go on hands forever, right? Cause that's like generally the biggest problem that I, that I have with people. So when you're taking a photo, you always want to, well, obviously depending on the kind of photo that you're taking, but let's say with sexy photos, you really want to exude a kind of confidence. And so you want to, you want every pose to feel intentional, every placement of the hand to be intentional. So props will actually help a lot if you don't know what to do with your hands. So holding something like a champagne glass or um, a flower or even holding onto your clothes. You know, if you're wearing like something like a sexy robe, grabbing the edge of the robe and like opening it up a little bit will give you something to do with your hands. You usually want to have your hands placed on your body. So you don't want them just hanging there. And you you want them in, and you don't want them generally right in the front of your body, right? Because the hands are, the, are as big as your face. Everybody's are. So you usually want to minimize your hands. So instead of like, putting your hands like on your stomach right in front, move them to the sides of the body so that they're minimized a little bit. Also try to make sure that your hand placement is either like boob area, which will naturally bring your shoulders down if your elbows come down or hip area. When people place their hands like on their stomach in a weird way, unless like you're doing a maternity shot, that generally looks pretty awkward. You usually It does. Wanna... It looks like indigestion. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> you usually want to, the idea is that you generally want to fill the frame in a confident way. Right. And you want to kind of lengthen your limbs. So usually placement of your hands on your hips in the hip area is a good place to put them. Um, but yeah, like, or in your hair, that also works too. A hair can be a great prop. Um, especially if you've got like big flowy, like gorgeous hair, play with your hair. It's all, it's all about like trying to find something to do with your hands. And a lot of times, like I said, just like instituting a proper thing like that will make a big difference. Oh, that's great advice. I think the, the only other sore spot that I have for myself when I go back and look at pictures and bless his heart, he loves them all. And of course we should love them all. Oh, I love it's it. It's a job. It, yes. Yes. <laughs> but my face. So like yes. I, ha I had a friend, face. I like your face. I, but I, I, I have these awkward moments where I'm, I just can't, I can't tell my face what to do. And mm -hmm. a friend of mine said, pretend like you're taking like 
a deep inhale or a deep exhale. And I'm like, I, that I did that in the mirror and that doesn't look good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's different for everybody. I, I, it would be hard for me unless I shot you, it would be hard for me to tell you what your right angle was. Cause everybody's different. You know, like if you have a particularly long nose, generally you want to keep your chin kind of up a little bit, which will shorten the, the apparent length of your nose. Um, but if you have like a weak chin, you might generally want to keep it kind of down. Also the lighting makes a ton of difference as well. So, um, and you know, everybody has different angles that look better. Some people look better with their head slightly to the side. Some people look better with their face straight on. I think it's kind of just all about looking at yourself in the mirror and taking a bunch of pictures and figuring out what the right angle is. Um, sometimes like blowing through your lips helps. Like even sometimes I know some girls who make noises while they're modeling and that helps relax their face. So they'll be like, (sighs) like these little noises and it helps relax their mouth. Oh, okay. So they're not doing like a tuba thing. They're actually cooing. All right, I got it. Right. I mean, ultimately it's about confidence. If you feel confident, that will show in your face. And a lot of times with taking photos and this you know, it's coming from somebody who shot hundreds of girls who, you know, at the very beginning of their career, when they had no idea what to do with their face or their hands, and they're now like these incredible models, that if you feel confident and sexy, that will show in your face, but that can take practice. And okay. it, it's not easy. I believe me, I've, you know, sometimes when I'm in front of the camera, I forget everything that I have told other people about how to model. <laughs> And I feel totally lost. <laughs> well, and says so the guy shooting the picture, which it's usually me taking pictures of my wife. I think some other people have taken a few, but another story for another time. Uh, you know, as the person shooting the picture on my end, I try to keep in mind that I can move. So mm-hmm. if I don't like the angle, I move. And I yes. try to kind of rotate around her in a semicircle because the perfect shot might be on the other side of her and I won't find it till I get there. So right. I, for me, if somebody asks me for advice, I'm like, you're the photographer, don't be lazy. Don't lay yes. there and take 15 shots of her in the same position. Get your ass up and move around a little bit. You know. Yeah, absolutely. You're right, because sometimes you'll find an angle that you didn't know was was good. I say, like, and also, too, like some general rules, and again, it depends on the person, but usually if you're shooting like a three-quarter or a headshot, you want to be at eye level or slightly above. You generally don't want to shoot up somebody's nose if their face is like the forefront of the shot. But then also when you're taking full length photos, a lot of times you want to get low because you don't want their legs to look stunted and you want them to look long. If you're taking booty shots, they almost always look better from underneath. I mean, anybody who's watched a gonzo video that, you know, like big wet asses knows that all of those (laughs) shots are from underneath because that is where the curve of the butt is not at the top. The top's kind of flat. So, um, yeah, just like, and if you don't know, just do a bunch of angles and delete the ones that look shitty. Right. You know, the problem with all those gonzo videos is all those nasty old farts that filmed them. There's new creepy guys that are coming behind them. So they're still around. (laughs) Like I always thought maybe they would go away, but they're still there. Like there's still a lot of those types of videos out there. I don't know. Just my two cents on the subject. Yeah. So let's talk about something else for a second. Let's let's talk about OnlyFans because I feel like OnlyFans has blown the fuck up in the COVID era, and I feel yeah, like it's changing chat, yeah. adult content. Yeah, there's a, there's a few different sites. Yeah, so I've, the yeah, number never of photos heard, and videos I've, is fucking insane. Have you seen never it? Heard, never heard of it. 
<laughs> Holy crap. Okay, so everyone and I'm, their cousin. I'm joking. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> I was I was sitting here going, well, damn, I know she's busy, but. that was. I was going to change the title of the episode to Holly Randall Lives Under a Rock. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know, right. Yeah, the OnlyFans is like dominating the industry, and it's, it's it comes up on my podcast so much. I almost feel like they should like fucking pay me as a sponsor because <laughs> I promote the shit out of them all the time because it's such a big topic of conversation. So the question I have for you though is: Is OnlyFans good for the adult industry, and is your quality suffering, or is it improving? Mm. So I think that I think ultimately it's good. And it's good because it has given financial independence to performers in a way that they never had before. And it's given them power and it's given them the ability to create their own content and not have to rely on working for other people. So I think that, that that's really important. And I think that levels the playing field. And I think that that the, makes the adult industry a better place to work. And ultimately it'll make for happier models right? Um, now, I mean, in terms of the quality, generally people are just shooting stuff on their iPhones in their bedroom, which is, you know, subject meh. to, yeah, exactly. For me, it's like, meh, but <laughs> I think it, it's also showing a shift in the preference of the fans because what OnlyFans offers that, you know, a big studio website, you know, like Twisties that I shoot for doesn't offer, isn't, intimacy with your favorite performer that you never had before. So now you can talk to her directly. You can directly request custom videos. You feel like she's creating this content specifically for you. She doesn't feel so unattainable. She's not just this glamorous woman on a box cover that would never give you the time of day. So I think it also speaks to the changing preference of the adult industry's audience and really just in general, and I think you can see this across all platforms, you know, in mainstream as well, is our our desire as a society to connect with people in a digital way because we're not really connecting with people in a personal way anymore, especially in quarantine. So I think it's feeling fulfilling that need that that people have because they're lonely. Yeah, I think it's it's developed a more tailored environment and, mm -hmm. and tailored stage for that. And I kind of feel, and, and maybe I'm wrong because I've not been on that side of the camera before, but there's got to be a level of empowerment that comes from having complete and total control over how much, how often, what you do, what you do for it or how much it is. I mean, that's, that's got to feel really good to be that independent in that specific environment. Absolutely. Well, and in some people, it's probably keeping them afloat. I mean, they're not working. They're not shooting scenes, so they're not getting paid unless they have licensing deals, which is probably a little more rare than it sounds. Yeah, um, it's it's definitely saving. It is the saving grace for a lot of people. A lot of sex workers are making it through this quarantine because of platforms like OnlyFans. Yeah, and a lot of people have invested into sex work because of the environment now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and, and I think that's a great thing because I think that starts to bring it a little closer to, you know, normalcy, right? Mm -hmm. Social, social acceptance. So you said something and, and this is, you know, kind of going back to what we talked about in the very beginning, you said that OnlyFans has a way of normalizing or making, you know, talent seem a little more accessible. When I was a teenager, 
one of my uncles, uh, we, we had a lot of open conversations about sex and more so than I did with my parents, ironically, and even though they were swingers. Uh, but so, and I asked him, uh, aren't porn stars worried about getting pregnant? And he's like, oh, those women can't get pregnant. And that showed his ignorance, number one. Of course, now as an adult, I know that because of course they can, <laughs> you know. Wait. But, Wait, why did yeah. he think that they couldn't get pregnant? I don't know. He's a hillbilly. Let's not get stuck on that. But uh, the most important thing was, though, that it showed me as an adult that he didn't view them as people. He yeah. didn't view them yeah. as, as human with feelings or, or fears or concerns or self-consciousness or self-body image issues, mental image issues, mental health issues, addiction issues, any of the thing that can happen for these. Are those things that you reflect on when you have these folks on your show on unfiltered? I mean, do you get to really portray them as real? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've gotten into some really crazy, I've had people cry on my show quite a few times. I've made, I've had men cry on my show. All right, Barbara um, Walters, stop that I, shit. I really did come out of some of those episodes. I'm like, I am fucking Barbara Walters of porn. Here I am. <laughs> Look at, there was almost a part of me that was like, aha, I got you to cry. I mean, like, <laughs> Obviously not really, but you know, the fact that people felt like they were in a safe space that they could be open and honest and that, and they were able to, you know, be emotional meant a lot to me. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had, that's the thing is like my episodes are all over the place. You know, some are absolute hilarity. You're just laughing your ass off the whole time. Some are really like kind of, dep- I don't want to say depressing, <laughs> but you know, like just really, wow. And, um, definitely we call that enlightening. enlightening. There you go. That's a, that's a yeah. much better adjective. <laughs> I think every um, road has a rocky patch. It's just a matter of how long it is and where it falls. Yes. Um, and you know, inspiring. So we, de- I mean, I've, I've had adult stars come on to talk about addiction issues for sure. We've had a lot of sober stars on to talk about that um talk about depression uh talk about suicide attempts Mm. Uh, it's been it's amazing and you know i always give them the space to talk about whatever they want to i never try to push people into a conversation they're uncomfortable with but the way that people open up when given that space and given a platform to do so is really it's really like a magical thing and it it's it feels really good to have those kinds of conversations. And I walk away from them feeling like I understand people better. And it, it, it's brought me, I feel like it's made me more compassionate, more insightful. And it's just been like a really wonderful experience. Oh, that's, that's, that's amazing. I, I have to go back and listen to the rest of them now. Cause I think I started on like the mid two or three and wow, you went back there. She's got 170 I did. I did. episodes. I know. I know. I think I was, um, oh, God. Now I'm going to trip up over my words, so I won't even put it out there. But I started in the middle. I, I like starting in the middle when I, I research new podcasts because people have honed their skills. They've they've decided what subjects they're going to pick and why, and it's very intentional. So Yeah, I would definitely say I've improved. Um, oh, yeah. One don't of the... listen to our first five. Oh, yeah. Don't listen to our first five podcasts. They're no, terrible. no, no. One of the biggest criticisms I would get is that like I would speak over my guests too much. Um, so I really tried to stop, I really tried to stop doing that. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, some are better than others. I mean, I'm sure you guys have a podcast, obviously you understand like, 
you know, when some people are like, oh, I listen to your podcast, you're like, wow, I hope you aren't listening to these episodes and you're listening to <laughs> these other ones because, you know, if you listen to like one episode of a show and it's one of the not so good ones, it's just like, so. Well, and also that's a matter of uh, perception, right? The the one you yeah. think wasn't valuable to you could be somebody's favorite. Yeah, that that true. is true. That has happened to me. I've had I've yeah. had guests on, and I was like, that was terrible. And then I've had people be like, oh, it was my favorite one. I was like, really? It blows me up every time. I'm like, are you mm -hmm. are you are you high? Were you yeah. high yeah. when you listened to that yeah. episode? Because <laughs> I really felt bad about that one. That was over. But that's all right. One, if I had to recommend one episode, I would say actually, ironically, is my very first one, which is where I interview my parents. Um, oh, I think that's the best one. So. Okay, that's on my list tomorrow. Yeah, number one. See, I was going to listen to it to see if you sucked when you started, but now I'm going to listen to it because I want to hear your mom's perspective on this. So. <laughs> I think I have one more question for you, if if you're okay with that. Um, sure. Yeah? Yeah. So I've, I've years I have thought about hiring somebody to come take pictures of me for my husband, and really kind of for me as well. Mm -hmm. But I don't know the prodding questions to ask. Like, how do I ask... Because like Googling erotic photographer, um, I've gotten some interesting results in my area. Um, mm -hmm. Some folks that on their face don't look like someone I would trust to take those photos and even boudoir photos. Like, is there any advice that you would give as a professional to as to what I should be looking for or asking these people in advance before, you know, even offering to hire somebody? I definitely ask for referrals. Okay. from other models for sure obviously ask for their portfolio and then make sure that you ask about uh post-production are they okay. giving you the raw files and then you got to figure out how to retouch them and get them color corrected or are they going to retouch and color correct your pictures for you are they giving you a hard drive at the end of the day or are they dropboxing it to you later um, do they have the ability to use their images in their portfolio? And if so, are you okay with that? And if you're not, make sure that you tell them that I don't maybe even have it in writing, even if it's just over an email. So yeah, referrals, okay. I would say is like, is the big thing. Okay. Um, talk to people that they've worked with before. I mean, it's okay. difficult because it's like, if I'm assuming you guys are not in California, no, um, we're on the other coast. Okay, because if you were, I could like recommend a bunch of people to you. <laughs> well, if you know anybody over here, I'd, I'd be totally open. Because the other thing I was trying to think about, and unfortunately, I don't know anyone who's done erotic photos. I know a couple people who did boudoir. And mm. there's usually two options um, that you can go with in their studio, which could be at X, Y, or Z, or maybe mm. in a hotel. Mm. And I'm, I have some reservations. I'm like, do I need to worry about my safety integrity? Like, do I book a pre-meeting with these people? Because a lot of times they won't meet you in person. It's all over email before you book the appointment. And to me, that kind of smelled a little funny. Is that just normal? Am I being overcautious? Um, I, th I think it depends. I know that I, unless somebody was paying me a fuck ton of money, I would not meet them in person before because like okay. that, that takes an enormous amount of my time. Okay. That's fair. You know, but if you were offering to pay me for my time, then sure. Uh, I mean, I feel like, you know, you could have a phone call at the very least because then I feel like you can get a sense of what somebody's like 
and a phone call. I think also too, one of the things to look out for is somebody who's not willing to answer your questions. Um, if they're not receptive to your questions and understanding that you being kind of nervous that you would have a lot of questions, that's kind of a red flag, you know, because if somebody, I know that like, it can be kind of annoying if somebody constantly pesters you with questions. But if I know if I'm working with somebody who's never really done this before, I really want to be clear and I want everybody to be on the same page. So I'm always happy to answer anybody's questions because I think communication is really key to making sure that, you know, you feel secure and safe going to set and that there, I hate surprises. That's like the biggest thing. Me and, too. um, yeah, nobody likes surprises. Well, I guess some people like surprises, but I don't <laughs> yeah, like not me. Not yeah. Me. <laughs> so like, I would rather you ask me questions so that I can be clear about it than, you come to set assuming something that's not the case. And then it's like awkward. All right. In LA, it's, it's really common to have people that are photographers that are comfortable or experienced shooting. uh, We'll call it erotic photography, but let's just call it what it is, which is, you know, essentially amateur porn, Mm -hmm. Uh, but have a professional photographer shoot it or videographer shoot it. Is, is it something that's common in other parts of the country? Is that, is it easy to find? Do you think? I mean, I don't know. I don't think so. Cause there's no industry for it. So you don't have people who are doing a lot of professional erotic content because there's, there's no, there's no work Mm -hmm. and you know, the model pool isn't there. So yeah, I would imagine that it would be very difficult to find that in other parts of the country, if you're not in like a main production hub area, they're all in the Valley. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you guys said you were in Orlando. Yeah. Yep. Well, I mean, I know that there's a lot of people who shoot adult in Miami. Okay. I know that's, that's kind of like, enough. that's kind of the other, like, hot, like the main place for porn is LA and then probably Vegas and then Miami. So maybe I I won't lie. I don't know how fucking big, I don't, I don't know how far Orlando is from Miami. I really don't. It's, but it's, I, it's, it's four two, hours. It's two, nothing in California speak. Two bottles <laughs> of water and three snacks from here. Okay. Two pee stops. Two P stops. So you might be better <laughs> off looking for somebody in that area. Okay. That's a really good That's idea. That's definitely something to consider. It's really only like four hours, four, maybe five hours from here. Well, Holly, it's a heartbreaker for me uh, personally because I have been looking forward to talking to you ever since you responded to our request. So thank you so much for making time for Casual Swinger today. Uh, I know that there's going to be people out there. They're going to get so much from the, just the conversation that we had uh, even the deep places we went with consent and and feeling good about yourself and what you went through as a person, you're a fucking rock star. You're amazing. So and we love your work. I'm gonna keep loving your work. <laughs> I would have loved your work even if you told me to go fuck myself in the email. But I'm really glad that you didn't. Um, do me a favor. Take a second and tell everybody how to find your podcast, how to find your work, where you're where you're doing stuff these days. Uh, how can people consume more Holly Randall? Oh man, I have so many links. <laughs> I'll put them all in the show notes. You can them to me. So uh, to find my podcast, it's Holly Randall Unfiltered. If you're familiar w- with like the audio podcast platform, which I assume you are because you're listening to this show, then you can find my show on any podcast platform. It's on all of them. 
if you want to watch the video versions of my podcast, you can go to my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Holly Randall unfiltered. If you want to support my podcast and access bonus content, you can go to patreon.com slash Holly Randall unfiltered. My not safe for work website where all the content that I direct and produce is at hollyrandall.com. And I also have an art book that I am trying to fund. You can go to patreon.com slash hollyrandallart for that one. And on social media, you can find me at hollyrandall on Twitter and on Instagram. I am shadow banned on Twitter. And I've had a lot of people tell me recently that they've had a difficult time finding me. So I'll give you a, a little trick and this will actually work for anybody that you're trying to find on Twitter. Rather than going to the Twitter app and trying to search within Twitter, go to Google and search Holly Randall Twitter and then my profile will come up and you can click on it and follow me. And that will actually work for anybody who's shadow banned. And that's how I find people's real profiles versus like all of the fake ones that are out there trying to pretend to be um, sex workers and who are trying to scam you for money. So that's great advice. That is fantastic. And that's how I found you. Actually, that's how I, I was looking for you on Google trying to figure out how to get in touch with you. And I found your shadow ban Twitter, which I didn't know was shadow ban. But then I found your email address. And I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My email's on all my my socials. But yeah, if you actually go into Twitter and then try to search me in Twitter, apparently I don't come up. That's what several people have told me. So you pissed off somebody in California. Go figure. Good for you, honey. Good for you. <laughs> well, this has been a ball. Mama, do you want to tell everybody how they can find us? It's not going to be as long as Holly's list. No, no. We're Casual Swinger everywhere. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Instagram, uh, podcast at casualswinger.com. If you guys have questions, feel free to give us uh, some kudos on iTunes if you have the time. And all the dating apps. I'm not going to run through the line. I'm tired. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you've been hearing from Holly Randall, who's Holly Randall Unfiltered. She's a photographer and she's a soon-to-be mom. This has been a lot of fun. Come back and catch us in two weeks. You've been listening to Casual Swinger.